George Lucas has vanished. In his absence, Kathleen Kennedy has risen to the top of Lucasfilm and will not rest until there is a Star Wars movie in cinemas every year. With the support of talented young filmmakers, Kennedy has released The Force Awakens, continuing the Star Wars saga proper, and Rogue One, the start of the Star Wars spin-off series. On this podcast, the Diminishing Returns trio will be discussing that first standalone Star Wars story before settling their season of space opera symposiums next week with The Force Awakens in anticipation of The Last Jedi. As always, Alan, Calvin, and Saul finish their discussion by pitching their own ideas for the next sequel. Enjoy! Episode 2 of Star Wars season, more like Rogue One of Star Wars season. Which is also confusing because it's the eighth movie in the series, but it's episode 3.5 if we're looking at the chronology. What is Rogue Rogue One, Calvin? What is Rogue One? Rogue One is a, since Luke, oh, by the way, yeah, I'm Calvin and uh, this is Sol. (laughs) Hello. And Alan. Hello. So, Rogue One is the first of the Star Wars anthology films, or Star Wars stories, as I think they're Mm. called. Um, Yeah, there there have been occasional weird little spin-off films in the past, haven't there? But they've all been very... Yeah, Yeah, there were a couple of Ewoks films, uh, The Clone Wars They were TV movies, is that right? Yes, yes. And The Clone Wars um, animated Clone Wars began life as a TV movie, but then halfway yeah. through, George Lucas was like, this is so good, it should be in the cinema. <laughs> yes. And maybe one day we'll get around to looking at that. But this is the first, like, proper, intended for the cinema screen, official Star Wars um, mm. film that isn't part of the main sort of Skywalker, Skywalker saga. saga. Yeah. Yes. And it's obviously, a, you know, a, a, a studio move because they want to have a Star Wars movie out every year, I guess. Cinematic um, universe. Well, yeah, rage. exactly, exactly. Yeah, people will never get tired of that. At the moment, the only uh, other Star Wars story that's scheduled for release and announced is the Han Solo film, which is coming out. Oh, and that's next year. having a lot of production. <laughs> They've issues. been shooting that since February, haven't they? <laughs> they're still, they're still filming it. So it's uh, yeah. So this is basically um, Lucasfilm opened themselves up for pictures for. Story ideas outside of that. The, Did they? The main Is that how this worked? Yeah. Well, this this came from. Oh God, I think it was one of the visual effects artists who worked on some of the previous films, and I believe he. I mean, to say that you had the idea of making a film centered around, you know, the original Death Star, Star plans Wars. is not. Well, I've got an not, idea to make a film about Star Wars. Well, it's just, it's not exactly, because, like, a book already existed, as far as I'm aware, that told a similar story. Not this exact story, but something similar. Um, But he was the one that went to Kathleen Kennedy with the idea, and then writers were brought in to create the characters and flesh the story out and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's Um, annoyed me. Why? Did did you, well, I mean, I I don't recall Diminishing Returns being sent an email by Kathleen Kennedy inviting us to pitch episodes even though that's like what we do did, did you guys get a message i i got that i i forgot to pass it on actually I, oh f- fuck's sake alan sorry uh i mean yes senator is already on air 
I, I, I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Go back to last week's episode. <laughs> Previously on Diminishing Returns. <laughs> I, I didn't realise it was quite such a free-for-all. I'm, I'm surprised the slate of films they have on the horizon seems so pedestrian then. Because that sounds like you're asking for interesting takes on the universe. That um, I don't know. Um, first, I think we should set the scene a little bit with um, talking about like how we came to this film like we normally do. Had either of you two seen it before, before we um, decided we were going to record it as this episode? Yeah. I saw it at the cinema. So did I. Oh, me too. Because we, we actually we, we spoke our... about this on our Review of the Year episode as well. It's another one you can go back and oh, listen yes, to. When we did course. the Star Wars original trilogy back last year, we did it to tie in with The Force Awakens. No, not that one. We did it to tie in with Rogue One being released. So, yes, we mm. went to see it and talked about it in the Review of the Year. I might be getting a bit ahead of us here, but I think in terms of the Star Wars season, in terms of how much we enjoyed the films... Uh, I do think this is going to be very much a peak in the middle of the trilogy, uh, where, you know, I, I think this is going to be our most enjoyed of the lot. It, it, it certainly will be for you and I, Alan. Uh, Calvin might prefer The Force Awakens. but yeah. Well, I'd like um, to... Uh, I, th- I think I can kind of put a reason on that immediately. It was something that struck me while I was re-watching it. Um, mm. Basically, it was, this doesn't feel like a Star Wars film. It feels like mm. a film. It feels like a film for adults, rather than a kids' film. That was a major yes, crucial difference for, for me. And then watching, as we'll see next week, watching Force Awakens, that felt much more like a Star Wars film. I think Rogue One feels quite like a Star Wars film, but it feels like the first time like Star Wars is stepping out of its uh, very, you know defined shell of what it is. Yeah. I, I think it I think it goes to great lengths to feel part of that world. But also it's it's the first spin-off. And the whole point of these spin-offs, as far as I'm aware, is that in theory they're meant to be Star Wars exploring different genres. Uh, mm. much in the way that Marvel do with their superhero mm. films and and I would argue why they've had so much success with their superhero films. Uh, you know, they've done fantasy superhero movies and comedy superhero movies and that sort of thing. And now all they do is comedy superhero movies. <laughs> I'm looking forward no. to discussing Thor Ragnarok with you on our review of the year. <laughs> 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 let's not let's not go on down that road. Let's, let's carry on. With but <laughs> but um, I, that that's kind of what Star Wars is trying to do, and they very cleverly picked a a kind of Baby Steps uh, film to start with, Rogue One being the war movie, because despite the title, the Star Wars movies aren't really... I mean, they're technically about a war, but like barely, you know? Whereas Mm. Rogue One is very much a film that harks back to those... World War Two movies that came in the sixties when you know World War Two was fresh in everyone's minds and they wanted to kind of um, make art out of it and what have you and it it really does feel like films like The Longest Day and and um, that sort of thing and I think the Han Solo movie was certainly pitched and greenlit as a comedy. Mm. It sounds like they've had to rein that in severely, but I think the idea is that we are going to get Star Wars noirs and Star Wars 
relationship dramas and, and Star Wars. Um, probably probably not a Star Wars musical. Maybe a Star Wars Western. You could mm. argue that the original trilogy is sort of a Western. But, you know, I think they're going to really lean into that um, head on. And like I say, this is kind of baby steps because a war Star Wars movie is about as... It's about the least outside the box you can go while still kind of just pushing, nudging outside the box at the same time. I don't know, is there much more sort of war... wariness in this one than the others? Oh, God, yeah. I think... Well, it's certainly it's grittier and bleaker, so in that regard, it handles war with the reverence it deserves. It's Mm. less... um, Yeah. But I, I, I think it does. It has them. There's no lightsabers in it. It has them shooting each other on like beaches and stuff. It's evoking mm. the imagery of, like I say, these old 1960s war movies. Well, it's more. It's it feel yeah, more like yeah, they're storming the beaches. But it feels more like oh, Rambo and his team of of mercenaries have been dropped in this. They have to go and kill the the Viet villagers or whatever they yeah. they just go and slaughter. But you know, it's that kind of yeah. feeling, like you've just dropped in and like oh, the plane's crashed so now we have to get out alive, all that sort of mm. thing. That, so that's yeah, true. that's what yeah. it evokes in that yeah, in that war film sense. I mean, it's a big part of why I didn't hate Rogue One, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, should we should we talk about how we, how we um, found it, just broadly? Because uh, I mean, once again, I, I know I keep saying that you should go and listen to our other episodes, and obviously you should, uh, but if you haven't and you are intent on listening to the Rogue One episode for some reason, uh, <laughs> then you should know that Alan and I are not massive Star Wars fans. Calvin is. Calvin's a normal person who loves Star Wars. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think all three of us like this film. Is that right? Well, I mean, yeah. I think you phrased it quite well there, Saul, when you said I didn't hate it. Um, and that's definitely where I'm coming from. Uh, just to put a number on it, I gave this film a 7 out of 10, and it was a very solid 7. Uh, Obviously, and, and, I, I gave it a 7 out of 10, but it's not a very solid 7. It's, it's more like uh, a 6.5. I've rounded up. I was really, uh, I was very happy with it, because it's not my genre. It's not my Star Wars. You know, I'm not into it. And so the fact that I walked away going, oh, I enjoyed that. Is, is a very solid experience as far as I'm concerned. Broadly speaking, I really enjoyed parts of it. I was bored out of my mind for parts of it. I thought it was too long. The final 15 minutes was so outstandingly good that I kind of mm. left the cinema thinking more of the film than I probably would have done otherwise. It ended on yeah. such a good note that it sort of made up for a lot of shortcomings I had with it. Um, well, on my, until that point. on my second viewing, my main sort of um, takeaway from that was this is a lot more simplistic and trite than I had first thought. Like, there's actually quite... Yeah. A, it's actually really by the numbers. Um, yeah. But there's enough character there to make it work, and I'm all right with that. But that's why it didn't. It's not outstanding by any means. But it was. But I, but it hid it well, I think. And it was only on the second viewing where I was like, "Oh, that's really basic stuff." <laughs> well, well, are you well, talking about the film in general there? Because I thought it was pretty apparently really basic formulaic well, yeah, stuff from the get go. Well, I think it's just because I I just enjoyed it as a basic cinema experience, and so it was like, "Oh, it's fine." Whereas just rewatching it and yeah. just sort of being able to pick up things. I mean, I'll give you a very easy example. At what point? At one point in the middle of a gun bo- 
in the middle of a gun battle, the the main uh, lead female, she just runs out and saves a, a crying child and then just runs back in. It's like, oh, she's, oh, yeah, a, no, she's that, a good that guy then. Yeah, like, so, but it's ah, just like, it's such you, you know, easy you know that You know that that scene was a reshoot. That was inserted later on. Oh, they just thought, oh, um, we, we've not made it clear enough that she's the good guy. We need to just make it really obvious. Well, no, because people didn't like her at oh, right. all, Is that, that character. Because she's a prissy, annoying, British... Stuck up, posho. She is. Um, she is a bit. And she's, yeah, she is a bit like not immediately likable. I will agree with that. She's not a fun character. Good, she's it? not a Han Solo. She doesn't have any sort of like wise cracks or anything like that. She's she's kind of boring and a bit miserable. So they had to give her that moment to be like, oh come on, like this woman, please <laughs> like her. Because I I quite like her as a character, and I think I did because she the saves get-go. the child. Yeah, that's that's not right away, is it? But she's. But he, um, I I was annoyed oh, was by her saving in. a kid. Yeah, I know. I quite liked her. As far as, I think I liked that she wasn't just another Han Solo clone. To be honest, I think I responded to that. I liked that she was a bit more dour and taking things seriously. And and like I say, I think it added to the idea that this is a war. That's what this film kind of, you know, it really gives a sense of this war having consequence in a way that the other films don't. The the other films are so light and oh, we're blowing up planets, but you know, whatever. The, the C-3PO's head's on the wrong body. Haha, <laughs> it's funny. And <sighs> and this was much more... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this... I don't know, this just felt much more like like I, I mean, maybe maybe it's to do with, like I say, it really evoked those old 1960s World War II films for me, and maybe it's drawing upon some archetype that I'm subconsciously familiar with from old war movies or something. I don't really know. I can't imagine it would, because like women in World War Two, that that wasn't like certainly I'm, not I'm, in the movies celebrating them. But I'm really not a fan of her in this film. I think there are a lot it's of really. other great characters in it that we'll talk about, but hmm. I, I don't I don't have a reason to like her. All I mean, that I don't, much. I don't, I, I don't love know what her, she. But... What does she do? That's like yeah, but what does what does Luke Skywalker do? Well, he's a plucky young chap from small town Tatooine wanting to go and, you know, make a name for himself, and I can identify with she's him as a... She's a plucky young orphan who's she had plucky. a shitty upbringing. She, she ain't plucky. She's She kind of just wants to be left alone. She's Yeah, miserable. I can relate I mean, to that. It, I think it, that's totally... I like. <laughs> <laughs> it totally makes sense, given her character and her upbringing, that she is a bit, like untrusting of people and just wants to be on her own and like I don't care about everyone else I've got my own problems I just you know it makes perfect sense and I'm sure on paper it works but then you like you try and bring it to life and you go oh we need we need people to like her uh, and yeah I, I can see why that doesn't quite come across but I think I thought she was every bit as fine as anyone in a Star Wars film certainly like every bit as good as uh, what's her name in The Force Awakens Daisy Ridley Daisy Ridley Ray, oh is no it? She's yeah, yeah, yeah. now they, she's a plucky young chap who, who yeah. just wants to save the world. Maybe I can't tell yeah. them apart in my memory, to be honest. I'm struggling to they're both kind of posh English. It's racist and sexist. She's not Jedi, <laughs> is she? But... And classist. <laughs> and 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 well, it would be religiousist, but she isn't a Jedi, is she? That's the whole point. That's something I like mm. in this film. It's yeah, kinda not, like not too much magic. It's like you're not getting a Jedi, and at one at one point mm. they're even like hinting, like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're about to see some uh, Jedi magic. You're about to see a lightsaber." No, no, mm. 
the Donnie Yen character, Chirrut. Um, I guess, sh- sh- should we just run through the characters here? Because, uh, yeah, there is um, Donnie Yen plays Chirrut Imwa, I think it is, who is a, a blind, uh, what is he, a blind man <laughs> who uh, who believes in the, he believes in the force but he's not a jedi he feels like he is connected to it in some way and can call upon it but he can't do the things that we see like Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor do in Revenge of the Sith um which I quite like it goes back to the idea that this is a religious thing and it's not about midichlorians it's just about Alan you mentioned it in our last podcast about how anyone can call upon it you might be more naturally inclined to um, get more out of it than others, perhaps, but anyone can feel it and anyone can hone mm. in on it and channel I mean, it's, into it. It's a bit, it's a bit annoying because it's like if you've got like certifiable proof, or certainly you believe that this force stuff is real, surely that verifies this is the true religion you should be following, and you're a fool to not actually go along with it. On the other hand, there are loads of people who go. Oh well, you know, I'm just spiritual. I'm I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual <laughs> in real life. So I guess he's the the equivalent of that in the Star Wars universe. And I I certainly thought it was an interesting character and and one that um I liked that it treated the Force and the Jedi with the kind of mystical bullshit like attitude that it sort of deserves to be treated with. Um, mm. And they kind of play it like he's a bit of a nutcase. The other characters aren't really like... Yeah, and his, 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 other, his mate who has to basically protect him but whenever he's forcing things. It's yeah. like uh, just sort of he's Ooh. the force. He runs around protecting him. I'm happy you brought up his mates. Did you think they were more than mates? I yeah, that, thought that... they were a couple when I first saw the film, and I've seen this debated, and I get... Like, coming back to it, like, for this most recent viewing, I was sort of like, okay, then, well, I guess they are probably just friends, but I don't know, there's something about the scene towards the end when Chirrut's dying and his mate sort of, like, has him in his arms, and they have this quite powerful moment. I... I absolutely, like, read it that way when I first watched the film. Absolutely. Mm. It seemed like they were... But but I think you're right. I think the film's very careful to not actually ever. Mm. Do you know what? Uh, Funnily enough, when I watched it, I thought I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, a bit more going on here, isn't there? Maybe they're uh, lovers. But um, but I I kind of all I immediately thought two men having emotions f- for each other, and I'm immediately thinking it has to be like uh, a homosexual <laughs> yeah. rather than just two people who are friends and and have like lived and worked together for years. It's like it's mm. like a military thing when you're 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 best buddy dies in your arms and and then you're going I'm going to get those Vietnamese um it's always the Vietnamese no matter but what it's war it's is. just weird cuz they <laughs> they actually portray like a real amount of emotion uh mm. again like I'm getting very ahead of ourselves here but Chewbacca's response to the death of his best pal of like, however many decades is just to go Oh, and then get on with it. It's the, the exact time. same response yeah. as when he spills his coffee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's yeah. the exact same response as when someone says, oh, hi, Chewbacca, and he goes, Arr! oh, hi, Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chewie, how is your sex life? But I think that's, that's um, again, that's that's part of why this film does feel different, because it kind of feels like it has a different level of emotional stakes for a Star Wars film. And I think that kind of plays into what you're saying, Alan, that this feels more like a film for adults, less of a yeah. kid's gung-ho adventure. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm. So, uh, as part of the main team, we also have Diego Luna. Um, he's, he's Cassian. He's the Fine. attempt at a kind of 
Han Solo. Han Solo is I'm not. I'm not particularly convinced by Diego Luna. He's all right. Me neither. Has he, has he done, done other wrong. stuff? I didn't yeah, particularly care for yeah, I mean, he's in. He was in Milk. Oh, okay. He has been in other uh, things. He, he kind of came through uh, in Itu Mama Tambien with Gael Garcia Bernal, and Gael Garcia Bernal kind of went on to be a big star, and Diego Luna kind of didn't quite. <laughs> but then he's in Rogue One, so he's all right. Uh, but yeah, he's he's not bad by any means. But he just, I don't know, just it's fairly unspectacular, isn't it? It's... Yeah, yeah. I, I found I, him very the, the, uninteresting the... in this film. The remarkable thing about the character is, and I think that they let a hero character do this, is in one of his early scenes, he's with a guy, um, is it Alfred Molina's son? Um, <laughs> oh, oh, but the fact that it's like very willing to let him be like bad at times. Yeah, 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 yeah. he kills this guy who, yeah, I that yeah, well. who, who can't escape with him easily. Um, and for that, in like his first scene uh, is quite yeah. something. Um, it is. It sets him up as a very brutal character, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And again, yeah. I think that's part of why this feels like a real war movie. I mean, I think part mm. of it, it's almost certainly like a direct response to the Han shot first uh, controversy. But yeah, but um, yeah, but that's that's like in the, in that scenario. No matter whether Han shoots first or second, he's still at gunpoint, and this guy is gonna shoot him. This uh, Alfred Molina look-alike is sort of just whimpering <laughs> that, oh, I can't climb, the stormtroopers are going to get me, I'll never get out of here, and then um, Diego Luna shoots him. Because he's like, I can't let him be captured because he knows too much, I'm going to have to yeah, kill yeah. him. Yes. It's, it, mm. And it kind of sets it up for later because he, he will do whatever it takes to, to for the bigger picture. But yeah, mm. I, pre- I agree, that I thought that was quite a, like, and, and that's the, the scene that establishes him as a character. Like that's I was expecting him to... I was expecting him to be revealed to be like a villain of sorts, like later into the film. To be honest, when I saw it, but um, obviously, you know, as, as it unfolds, it becomes clear that oh no, he is just so committed to this uh, cause that, like you say, he just couldn't. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's very interesting. You don't tend to get that in in this sort of film. Normally they would cut that scene and add a scene where he runs into gunfire to save a crying child so that you know he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then rounding out the humans is Riz Ahmed. Yeah, uh, he's alright. Yeah, he's fun, isn't he? He's, he's yeah. good. I really like Riz Ahmed, of what I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In this, it feels like Feels a bit out of place. It feels like he's he's doing a character. Mm. I don't. It just doesn't quite fit. Or like he's doing a character and he's putting a lot into it, but then there's not actually much there for him to do. I completely agree. I I wonder if a lot of his stuff was cut because honestly, it feels yeah, like his yeah. character deserved and and required significantly more screen time than he got. Because like you say, it feels like he's doing more than the part needs or. Mm. Warrants. Mm. It, it, it's it's very odd, and it, it does feel kind of out of place. But um, yeah, he's he's all right. Actually, you know the the first thing I ever saw Riz Ahmed in was um, a film called Shifty, which is like a relatively low budget British film. Yeah, um, quite a while ago. But in that, it, the two main characters are him and the guy who is, gets shot in that first scene, who is called Daniel Mays. I had to look that up. Um, but like they're the two leads in that, and so when he t- and I knew Riz Ahmed was in this film, so when that other guy turns up in the first scene, I was like, 
oh, they must be mates. He's like got him in on this film, hmm. and then he and then he got yeah. shot, and he's like, oh, just a little <laughs> little cameo then. Okay, hmm. uh, but yeah, that other guy, he. That's when I saw him in that first scene before he got shot. I thought he was going to be a bigger character because he's one of those like up and coming British actors like Riz Ahmed. So mm. I was so I was doubly shocked when he got shot. But yeah, Riz Ahmed, very good. Like him. Yep. Doesn't yep. do enough in this. Yeah. Or doesn't get enough to do. You know, I thought they were going to do something with him when because there's a scene where he's um he's captured by Forrest Whitaker, who I suppose we'll talk about soon. Um. And that's, he's strapped yeah, to a chair, question. and there's this like weird alien thing. They're trying to uh, get the truth out of him. So I guess this alien is sort of like a lie detector test. And Forrest Whitaker says something about like how this will make you tell the truth, but it'll you'll also make you lose your mind. It goes nowhere. Yeah, because you don't even get to see him kind of being like going mad or anything. It's real. No, I, I I've completely forgotten about that till you mentioned it just now. But yeah, because when I was watching it, I thought, oh, they're doing that thing from Wrath of Khan where they put the weird little slug thing that makes you like tell the truth in your ear and then in- oh, interrogate okay. you. And but like you say, it's cut completely short and doesn't even go anywhere. But it's and not. It, like and it does feel like it's very cut out because the next time we mm. see him, he's in a prison and he's supposedly lost his mind. He's just not making any sense. Yeah, and, yeah. And then yeah. the other guy says something to him that triggers it, like you're the pilot or something. He's like, oh, "I'm the pilot. I'm the pilot," and it sort of triggers his memory and he's back. But he's back straight yeah. away. There's no kind of conflict there. That feels like there's something's been missed out there. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I can only assume that. The, yeah, like what you said, Sol. I'm sure that there's plenty of deleted material with Rizamed. Somewhere, yeah. Can we can we talk about Forrest Whitaker? Because yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, let's. let's he, he's having a lot of fun. He's loving it. He, he was <laughs> he was probably my favorite thing in the film. Honestly, I I loved him. In oh really? Oh okay. But it was well, it is one of those things where he's just chewing the scenery. But yeah, like, they, like you, you say, give an actor it's the like only that, the opportunity to just do whatever he wants, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's it. You, you know the story of how Samuel L. Jackson went up to George Lucas and just said, I want a purple lightsaber? He went up to him and went, you will give me a purple lightsaber. <laughs> well, you get the impression Forrest Whitaker went up to Gareth Edwards and just said, right, here's my list. It's like, give, give me like five things off the list. Peg leg, eye patch, <laughs> silly voice. like I'll, Oxygen yeah. mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it when he does scar. the oxygen mask. It's like uh, timed to the music that he like takes a breath and then lowers it and then like pulls oh, a chord so it goes back into place. And it's the music's like dun 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 dun. It's like it's not really the most. What do we think? What do we think of the music actually? Very quickly, because this is the first Star Wars film in the like proper Star Wars canon to not be scored by John Williams. I thought it was very good. Uh, there were occasion, there were moments when the the love theme from Attack of the Clones. Mm. I kept thinking that that was being brought back in mm. some scenes, but it wasn't. It was just had a very similar start and then went mm. into something different. And actually, no, that's probably a, my review of the music entirely. It sort of starts and I think, oh, I know this theme. Oh no, wait, no, I don't. This is something else. I thought it did a pretty good job of aping the feel of Star Wars, whilst like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it 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 doesn't have its own distinct voice, but it's about as good as uh, Star Wars, but not Star Wars, as you could hope for. And I kind of like that it sounds like Star Wars, but not Star Wars, because, mm. like I said before, they're kind of easing us out of this universe into expanded territory, and I'm sure, you know, five yeah. years down the line, 
they can do a Han Solo movie that's, you know, the soundtrack's just hits from the 80s on his mixtape, but <laughs> it, it, it's going to take a few films to get there. Alan, did you did you notice the music at all? I'm going to guess you didn't even pick up on it being there. Yeah, it didn't stand out to me in any way that good or bad, so it must have been fine. Fair enough. <laughs> um, who else is there? So there's, well, there's Alan, uh, Alan Tudyk? Yes. As the robot. Well, the voice of... My uh, favourite. Well, and the motion capture. Uh, was he doing that as well? I don't think that really added a lot, but... Okay, well, there's not, mu- uh, there's not really much of a facial uh, yeah, component to that robot. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good character. It's a, the character, it works. It's a little bit... It's kind of um, C-3PO if he were competent. And, <laughs> and a bit... And grew a spine. It, fe- it does feel a bit like... Oh, we have to have a kind of comedy character in here, so let's make the robot the comic relief guy. You, you know what he felt like works. to me was, you know how in Star Trek The Next Generation, they obviously were like, well, look, we need to have a Spock, but we can't just have another Spock. And they ended up coming up with Data, and the end result is Data, who is very much a Spock archetype, but uh, arguably a bit better. He's a bit deeper, a bit more developed because they had to distance him from the original character. And to me, it's very much that with C-3PO. They were like, well, we want to have this kind of C-3PO character, but we've got to make him different enough from C-3PO to justify it. And those differences make him a more fledged, um, fleshed out being and, and an entity that I'm happy to watch in a film, so I, I quite yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I think he's really good. I think Alan Tudyk's... Re- How do you pronounce his surname? Tudyk? I don't know. Tudyk. I, I took a stab at it earlier. I have no idea if it's correct or not. Oh, uh, oh. Alan, oh you said it with such confidence. <laughs> Alan Tudyk, uh, did I say, I think? So, Alan Tudyk. But okay, yeah. But it, yep, might, no, but it, might, be, it might be Tudyk. It, it could be Tudyk. Tudyk. <laughs> but no, I I I love him. He's one of my favorite things in the film. He's very funny. Uh... Yeah, and he's kind of become Disney's good luck charm recently for some reason. Mm. So I don't know if they threw him into this just to kind of like as a as a little uh, hope for the best. I don't know. It's... Mm. Um. So there's uh, the baddies. Peter Cushing. Yes. Peter Cushing is in the film. Yes. Uh... Giving an excellent performance to say that he's yes. Uh, no longer with us. <laughs> Dead for 30 years or however long. Yeah, pe- people um, complain about this, but I, I think they did a pretty remarkably good job of uh, oh, yeah. putting a, a dead character into a film. Like, it, like yeah, it makes complete sense for the kind of story that they want to tell, considering, you know, he's a big part of A New Hope and the Death Star is his sort of weapon, his battle station, his home. Um... And when I first saw the film, like, I'd heard rumours that he was in it and what, whatever. Um, it, he's in, like, a scene at first and you just see his reflection in a window and he's talking to the guy behind him. Um, and then he turns around and it's him and it's like, whoa, okay then. Um, but then the scene's over relatively quickly and I thought, well, okay then, I guess that's it. That's um, the cameo that they needed to have. But then he's in it in several more extended scenes. He's like a full character in this film. Yeah, they didn't have to um, hide it, did they? they didn't. I did, if you if you were watching that film and you had no idea about anything to do with the production of it, would and you didn't know who Peter Cushing was, would you have realised that was a fake face? I think he looks a bit otherworldly, but I'm not convinced you'd pick up on it being, like, CGI. I, I think you might think, oh, this guy's very 
creepy looking. But that's that's kind of what they're going for. So no, I, I think it's really quite an astoundingly good job of it, and it proves that like it's viable that in give it another ten years and it'll be pro- pretty much seamless. I expect you know. Yeah, with him, it's when he's sort of not talking and mm. he's just moving a little bit and looking around. It it's astonishing. Like I don't think. I could tell that it, you know, isn't a real person. It's when he talks. There's something about certain facial movements or, like, it's just the slightest eyebrow raise or something that just doesn't look quite right. I don't know if it's rendering or what it is, but there's something that doesn't quite hook up. Um, but for the most part, it's amazing. And the the guy who did the voice, who also did the motion capture, did a really good job with the voice as well. And uh, the, the main villain is that... Um... Orson Krennic, is that his name? That one? Yes, Ben uh, Mendelssohn mm. plays him. And I, Australian I, actor. I, I really liked him. I just thought he felt like so oh, he's great. purely in line with everything Star Wars has shown us of like its villains in the like, He just felt so perfectly conceived of as a Star Wars villain, but yet he had the mm. right level of character and and charisma and uh, yeah no i thought he was a v- mm. very very good um take on on what he needed to be and i think um I, I really like how all the villains in this one are in the other ones they tend to be the emperor or darth vader or some kind of sith lord or something um in this one it is sort of like middle management uh empire executives which is quite nice it's just these boardroom bickerings and all ben mendelson really wanted all he really wants is for him to be like in charge of this death star project and he has a scene later on with darth vader which i i guess we'll get to talk about at some point um and yeah it's all he really cares about is you know he doesn't want uh, peter cushing muscling in on his turf and taking a uh, taking over his um massive weapon <laughs> Um, well, um, the other sort of established actor that we have in the film is uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who yes. I thought was kind of boring and disappointing. The character just didn't do anything with it. Yeah. It was, just didn't. And it's Mads Mikkelsen, so you think, like, oh, he'll do something. But... Well, he keeps mm. he keeps popping up in these Hollywood films, and they're, they're just kind of... It's it's like they all acknowledge he's a great actor, and they want to use him, but they can't figure out how. Because the same mm. exact thing was true of uh, Doctor Strange, where he was mm. a, a villain again, and they just didn't really feel like they gave him anything to do, really. Um, mm. Mm. It, it's much the same thing here, I think. Mm. But it's it's a good character. I mean, I, it did, I can't remember if we complained about this in our previous Star Wars episode, like last year, about the original trilogy, but it's a common criticism about the Death Star that why would you build this giant thing and, you know, it's so easily uh, yeah. blown up. Yeah. All you need to do is send a missile down this one thing and then it's... And this whole film sort of retroactively yeah. explains that. <laughs> Yeah, which, is, uh, which I like. Which I, I like. like. That. Yeah, I'm happy with yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's his character that created the Death Star. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means about because th- didn't those weird insect people in Attack of the Clones have something to do with it as well? I don't know. Do you remember that? No. They had uh, they had the Death Star on a like a memory stick that they gave to Christopher Lee. The, the, yeah, they were just uh, consulting on it for 
for old Mads. <laughs> and they didn't notice this, you know... Oh, by the way, there's this, like, shoot thing. It's got no real purpose. This exhaust. We don't know what it's there for, but uh, you I, I might think want to they, cover that up. They were like... Some two they were four. in on it. <laughs> they were like, look, this this, this <laughs> thing... Need, there needs to be a way to shut this thing down. It's too powerful. Uh, Which characters mm. were these? Do you remember in episode two, Christopher Lee hung out with, with those weird, like, insect creature things? <laughs> Not really, no. But, uh, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just go well, on. they're like flying bug reptile things, I don't know. <laughs> they talked like... Alright, okay. <laughs> now, perhaps mm. if they talked with a kind of stereotype foreign accent, I would have remembered. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> mm. We do have some disappointing slash terrible cameos in this. Mm. Um, R two D two and C three PO turn up. Hate these cameos. They like honestly. I was like, if I'd had a, a drink or a popcorn in my hand at the cinema, I would have thrown it <laughs> on the screen. I was furious. <laughs> Not paying those prices. The one that made me most angry. I know which one you're going to say. Yeah, it wasn't even the droids. It was those fuckers from the cantina. Who yes. just do the same joke as before? They just do the. Hey, he, he doesn't like you. Yeah, he says something about like I'm a wanted man. I have the death sentence on twelve systems or something like that. And yeah, they just do the exact same thing, and it's so not connected That's it. to it's so fucking anything laboured. Like you could cut it, and it wouldn't make any difference. And the fact that they're there. Yeah. If anything causes problems for the continuity, because it you well, you have yeah. to believe that they then were like basically on their way to a spaceship to leave that planet immediately, and yes, and like before it gets blown. Yeah, because because that's it. About five minutes later, the whole planet is destroyed. But well, that city, not the whole. Oh planet, yeah, sorry, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that part it, of it, it anyway. Oh, it aggravated me. I was so angry. And yeah, the droids show yeah. up as well. And that, that one, that one didn't bother me because I didn't remember them. So it was, it just seemed like a weird scene that had no well, meaning. But so yeah, I mean, what I what was, did you think of it then? If you didn't remember, like what? It must be like <laughs> Simon Pegg asked to come and be on set. And yeah, exactly. Go. I was like, oh, that'll be the director or something. Yeah. But it, but the droids thing. I made a note of it. I was like, I, I can't remember the the timeline here where this works, but. Is there any justification for having them there? Or Remind me what the droids do in this one, because I, I was so angry with that other cameo that I don't even remember the droids. Like I the, know they're the camera, it, but... the camera pans across to them, and C-3PO goes, "Oh, I think we've got ourselves into a bit of bother here." Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> like, that's he says it. it's like that they're, they're all gearing up to go to um, the planet at the end, the beach planet. I think it's called Scarif. And um, while all the pilots are running around and ships are taking off, um, R two and three PO are like Scarif. Why did no one tell me we're going to Scarif? Oh, and then R2 bleeps and that's it. Um, like, I, I love those characters, but seeing them in this is just, yeah. I, I was, uh, yeah, I was furious. I, I wouldn't have minded if, like, if it was like Alan said and they were, like, just in the middle of another adventure and we were just meant to believe <laughs> that, like, these droids are just constantly off and it was played like a joke, like, can you believe they're in this film as well? How absurd. But it, <laughs> But it's just, it's played like we don't have the balls to not put these droids in a Star Wars movie mm. because yeah. like how could people possibly enjoy a Star Wars movie without C-3PO and R2-D2 in it and it's like mm. they're, like they're, their contribution to this film is so minimal that like you know it's a throwaway joke so it doesn't need to be there it's ba- oh mm. god it, I was so annoyed 
but yeah, that, that, those are um, those are the two really shit cameos, and there's there's two more justified ones in the form of Peter Cushing, who's more than a cameo, really, but it, it's the same mm. ballpark. But obviously, I'm I'm on board with that one. And as you mm. say, Darth Vader. Are there any others? Yes. Well, Carrie Fisher. Oh, of course. Also appears of at course. the end of the film. I'm on board but with that, that I, one. I can I can justify that one. It's justified yeah. in the plot and connecting it back to the other films. They mm. they put her in for a, a, a two second scene. They de-age her face. Yeah, or, Calvin. Yeah, how did use they use someone else's face? How did they do that? Because I couldn't figure it out watching it. Was that like weird CGI enhancements to her actual face? Was it some kind of archive footage pasted over the top of like an actor? I think actor? it's the same as the Peter Cushing one. Yeah, you get an actor yeah. who has a similar face structure and then sort of put Carrie yes. Fisher's face on her, like mm. Silence of the Lambs. Yep, that was. Uh, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I was going to say that's exactly it. Um, not exactly. But, they had to uh, cut Carrie Fisher's face off and put it. On. That that was uh, yeah. That that was that was the case. And but the um, they had the actual actor Guy Henry, I think is his name. He's been in Harry Potter films. And he stuff. looks like, exactly like Carrie Fisher. It's uncanny. But no, no, no. He he did the voice of for, Carrie Fisher. Um, Pe- no, of Peter Cushing. Whereas. Carrie, uh, Princess Leia has one word to say in the film, and that was taken from um, A New Hope. Um, a few more of the cameos that you two might not have recognised is in the space battle towards the end. Oh, um, there's some guys from yeah, in, in in the there's some of the people that are like red red one standing by or whatever. Yes, were, red leader and um, yeah, that, that was leader? that was really weird because there was some archive footage from like Star Wars or something in there, wasn't there? Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It, they it, found some. It was film. like there was this. It was like a slightly different grain on the on the film. It was like, oh, that looks mm. a bit. It it was well sort of stuck in, but it it did like. That's all right. That feels like a, a worthy little nod to the original film. Like, that's fine. As a Star Wars novice, but like you say, someone with enough film savvy to pick up on when I'm watching a totally different like grade of footage, I picked up on that. But I yeah, I quite liked it. Like you say, it feels like an organic, um, reasonable means of including an old character without just crowbarring them in. It's not like the droids. It's a character that makes sense being there. It would have been it would have been good if they'd been like going Gold three, come in, and then it cuts to C three PO in a in a plane, just pressing buttons, going, "Oh, I don't know which one's the right button to press." <laughs> oh, <laughs> <And then laughs> I could get used to this. That's what George Lucas would have done. <laughs> yeah. And then, interestingly, a couple of other cameos that I think are more interesting because they make a direct link back to the prequels are Jimmy Schmitz and uh, Jimmy Schmitz, Genev- and Genevieve O'Reilly, Jimmy as Schmitz. Bail Organa, and is Jimmy Mon Schmitz Mothma. a used car salesman? It sounds like it is. <laughs> is Jimmy oh, Jimmy Smith? Is Jimmy Sorry, Schmitz, Schmitz the brother Smith. of the character in the Tina Fey sitcom that's currently on Netflix? Good reference. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> nobody gets that. But he he comes back as uh, Bail Organa if you remember him from episodes two and three. Oh yeah, Le- oh, no, Leia's no. adopted father, right? Yes, oh, yes, nice. I did. I did like that actually. I was like, oh, I, re- I only recognise him because we watched the prequels last week. But I was like, mm. oh yeah, he took in Leia. I remember him. Yeah, but that's just like that's because I know that they made a big song and dance in the fo- you know up to the Force Awakens about how the prequels aren't going to be referenced and they're kind of being swept under the rug. Um, but to bring him back as that character, when I, I don't know if you needed to have him there, um, 
but it does make a direct link, which is mm. but they didn't, quite nice. Yeah, and they didn't like make it. They didn't go like, so uh, how is young Leia doing? I heard she's out there in the rebellion. <laughs> like yeah. they could have, they could have done it really badly. But he's just there, part of the council, which makes sense as presumably yeah. as a leader of the, the that planet or whatever. Yeah, and they do make a little reference to. He mentions something about like um, how he's got an old Jedi friend who this you know data will be safe with, and that's like. Supposed to be why Princess Leia wants to get it to Obi Wan Kenobi and New Hope, which is nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so uh, I think there's one last big character in the film that we haven't talked about yet. Um, well, Darth Vader. So how do we feel about him being back, voiced by it, James Earl Jones? It felt like really blatant, unnecessary fan service, but it also... Oh, but I love it! It also felt like fan service done about as well as you could hope for, so I didn't I didn't dislike it. Like I say... They didn't, it, they didn't overuse him. Like yeah, they, yeah. They didn't have him there as the main bad guy. That, that extended... There's an extended kind of ten-minute fight scene at the end where he just goes mental, uh, killing everyone. Oh, I love that. That that. felt particularly crowbarred in, and I believe that was one of the reshoots. Is that correct? They, they. I think so. Yeah, it it does. Just that's what I hear. It it does feel like people were saying there's not enough Darth Vader in this film, so you need to like add in an Evil Dead esque sequence where he just like kills (laughs) hundreds of people coming at him and. I mean, like I say, it yeah, is pretty it good though. I do love that. It, yeah, it's, I mean, it's like I say, it's it's you know what they're doing when you're watching it. it it's very kind of mm. contrived, but it is done about as well as you could hope for. But I, mm. do you know what I've mm. always liked about Darth Vader? Right, <clears throat> he loves a pun. <laughs> 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 yeah, but if you, <laughs> I could only hear it with like Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice, <laughs> Mister Freeze. Like that is how I could hear his lines. Like, uh, well, that, don't that, choke on your ambition. <laughs> that really annoyed me, just because like, does he does he do puns in the original series? Do I just not remember it? Because it felt no, it felt like a new no sense of humor. It felt like a new character trait he'd suddenly picked up to like have this self-aware <laughs> sense of humor. Well, I, he has sort of dryly comedic lines in I think Empire Strikes Back when he's like killing all those Imperial uh, guards who have been failing him and stuff, but not to the extent of making a yeah an Arnold Schwarzenegger style pun about it as he does it. Don't choke on your ambitions, Admiral, or whatever he says. Yeah. Imagine, yeah, like, imagine... Light, lightsabers someone's head off and go, don't lose your head. <laughs> imagine... <laughs> but maybe this is to explain where C-3PO got the, oh, yeah. um, all the puns like from, father, because like Darth son. Vader made him. Yeah, yeah, he programmed yeah, him. That's, in I like that. Puns. That's good, though. That yeah. makes sense because they were separated when he was eight years old, and that's the sort of level of humour. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, just great to see that character back. And again, it was one of those things where I'd heard about it before the release. That, Ooh, James Earl Jones has come back to do Vader. And um, at first I thought we were just getting that scene where um, uh, the uh, Imperial scientist guy, Orson, um, he visits him in his castle on Mustafar, which is... Um, I, d- I, don't know how own... I, I don't know how I felt about him having a castle. Well, that was supposed to be in Return of the Jedi, Episode 6. Instead of having a second Death Star, they were going to have the climax of the film in... the. Well, it was to be the Emperor's Castle. That would have been so Mustafa. much better than a second Death Star. Why didn't they do that? Uh, I don't know, actually. I think I can't remember. I think it was something to do with the technology. Storming um... a castle. That'd be excellent. The, 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 the Return of the Jedi already like has that kind of 
high fantasy feel more so than the other two anyway. Yeah, I'd, I, yeah. I'd have gone with that. Yeah. Anyway, we have it here instead. Um, but it's only like a cameo. Yeah. It's just like, oh, by the way, Darth Vader lives in a castle. But I thought that scene was going to be the only one that we see him mm. in, and he's like in this tank, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, having a bath, I guess. Um, and then he gets his gear on, comes down. But then the fact that he comes back at the end, like his ship appears during the space battle, and he, um, yeah, gets to kill all those rebel guards. I, I thought it was really, really good. Loved it. Another element here that I, I picked up on was, you know, Star, the world of Star Wars really doesn't like democracy. It doesn't like how it works, um, which, I, which I, I like. When the Rebel Alliance are trying to come up with, you know, like they come up with this plan. They're like, oh, look, we need to go here and, and blow this up. And they're putting it to the Rebel Alliance. And they're all like, mm, I don't know. What do you think? And then like there's six of them they have to vote. And they're like, no, one of us isn't <laughs> on it. So we're not doing it. And it's like the, the, option are, the options are, you know, be the Rebel Alliance and rebel and try and take these things down, or just sit here and wait and to die. And like, um, I think we'll wait to die. <laughs> so it's like, what? We just why? But then what happens is they go off on their own and they all do it anyway. So why mm. why do we need that? Why do we need to have a sense of conflict in the Rebel Alliance? What's what's that adding? Because it's it just to it's make sh- it look like she's the one who's taking power and yeah. going off to do it herself. And it's, show, it's showing how split and how much of a big deal it is for her to take that, like, initiative and take that into her own hands, that she, like, has to kind of stage a coup, for, like, essentially, and, and, yeah. Well, they don't, they just steal one plane. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but they're going against the, the votes of half the bloody people in that, that group, so, I mean, it is. Mm. I mean... They are rebel rebels, so they're going to rebel. I was going to say they should have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah, although they're the rebel <laughs> rebellion, rebel. What are they called? The Rebel Alliance, and they're not very allied. So, mm. <laughs> oh. um, can I ask this this um uh, fish guy in there? Um, Admiral Akbar. Admiral Radis. No, no, it's not Akbar. It's uh, Admiral Radis. It's like his mate, though, isn't it? There's a guy who's basically yeah, Admiral yeah, yeah. Akbar, but it's not actually him. Well, yeah, I'm guessing that that guy. Well, did he die in this? Um, I guess his ship was taken over, but we didn't. We don't actually find out what his fate is. Um, I'm guessing he died because that's how Akbar becomes admiral. But uh... well, yeah, I mean, I heard they were going to get a different fish guy and then put Admiral Akbar's face over the top of him <laughs> with computers. <laughs> well, they just couldn't be asked, so they changed his name. They ran out yeah. of money <laughs> and thought uh, they all look alike anyway. Fuck it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Should we talk about the uh, the ending itself? One of the more remarkable things about mm, the film. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I how... really do think the ending is kind of single handedly why I I am on board with the film. Frankly, it, it... well, everyone dies. Everyone dies. Um, yeah, sort of one by one, mm. and I'm not sure if I I don't know if I saw it coming. I... Um, certainly not with um, the main no, I, two. That's it, I didn't at all. I the robot died, and I was like, huh. Okay, didn't expect to kill off the mm. robot, but I that makes sense. You want to have your emotional impact. And he died in and a it's... sort of sacrificial way. Yeah, 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 was, that's yeah, it. You're giving exactly the emotional stakes, that and that that's quite significant. And then everyone else dies, and it's like, whoa, okay, everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I like that. I like it when they stick to their guns, and yeah. if you're going to have these sacrificial heroes, then stick with it, make them martyrs. But I... 
I mean, my thinking was, well, they aren't in the other films, so they knew they had to kill them off, so they've got the justification mm-hmm. to do it. And I think, but if they wanted to save the main two, and they, they lived, and then they could definitely go, oh, and then they went off to this system and did something, blah, blah, blah. Mm. You could definitely talk about that. I was absolutely... I was absolutely expecting that to be the case. I was expecting for them to cut to a little meteor nearby with like a petrol station on it, and those two having a hug. Like, <laughs> well, thank God we got away, and we've got a quiet life. You know, those the, the sacrifice yeah. of our friends, but we're we're here to live again and fight in Rogue Two, the sequel to the spin-off that's not part of the main Skywalker saga. And they didn't do it. It's not just that they had to tie it into that, but. They they made this film knowing that they weren't going to create a sequel to it because the sequels already exist. That's not true so, though. That's mm. not true. They 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 they've got everyone signed up for sequels if they need it. They didn't. They made the film like not knowing. Do you know? What I mean, I, I think it was near the end, and they were like, you know what? This is the correct ending, and we need to do right it's, by this film. Mm, I think. Well, if that if yeah, but if if Hollywood producers thought like that, then. Um, Dark Knight Returns would definitely be different. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can think of a few more examples. But my, my point is, I think selling that to the the studio, going, look, everyone has to die, and it's the it's the correct ending. That's not enough for a studio. It has to the the kind of the justification of the story is nowhere near. Enough I don't know. I, so, I think, but it is like, look, you know, we're not going to make any sequels directly to this film, so let's not worry about it. Let's give it the ending. Look, I, well, no, I don't think that's quite right. I, th- I think you've got. Number one, you've got Kathleen Kennedy producing, and she's about mm. as powerful a producer as you'll find in Hollywood, certainly after the Weinstein scandals kind of uh, vanquished him. Um, so if she's on board with it, and she does seem to be a very story and what's right for the film kind of driven producer, if she's on board with it, mm. she'll go fighting for it. And I think it's kind of her call, largely. Uh, secondly, it's not like she has to then go to Disney and say, no more Star Wars movies ever. She says, this particular Star Wars spin-off, it's kind of an experiment to test the water for future Star Wars spin-offs, but obviously we'll make hundreds more Star Wars movies, and this particular one's a dead end, um, unless you want to do a spin-off. Well, that's exactly about- my point. You have to go in there and say, look, this, is not, this story isn't going to go any further because we've already done it. And so that's how, you, because you can't, there's no way you're going to do that if it was an op, a film that could have an open ending and lead to something else. There's no way a producer is going to go, well, we could make another 600 million on the next film, but let's just, let's give it a proper ending. It just doesn't work like that. But I think they, they could do it with this because there was no pressure to create a sequel because they're not going to do it. And they knew they weren't going to do it no matter how successful it was. But they might have done. That's the thing. They, they could have very easily done a sequel with the you know the the characters from this film going off and having another adventure and it could have been an adventure tangibly like sorry tangentially linked to the Skywalker saga or it could have been a new adventure that was nothing yeah, to do with the yeah, Skywalker you could saga. Do, you could do look oh yeah look it's the girl Diego Luna and the robot and they they're in our team and they go off and do another mission like in the middle of you know the Ewok story I think it's I think it's interesting that we don't actually know who or which group was sort of pushing for this ending, because um, certainly when you look at some of the uh, first trailers that came out, there's a load of footage that isn't in the film of um, the main woman like running down the beach shooting stormtroopers and all this kind of stuff, and then when she's up on the tower, she comes face-to-face with a TIE fighter at one point, 
And I do wonder if in some version of the story she got on that TIE fighter and managed to, like, get away. Like, I'm sure there must have been an ending somewhere where she hopped in a speeder and then got away. There, there was an ending written and I think storyboarded and possibly shot, but I don't know if it was ever filmed. But certainly written and storyboarded, there there was an ending where they got away, the uh, the two main ones, and survived. And they they very wisely decided to not go with it because it wasn't the correct ending. And um, and I don't know if that was Gareth Edwards uh, who made that decision or if it was the result of the reshoots because, like you say, we're not entirely sure uh, what the reshoots did, I, I think. Um, but, yeah, it, it certainly seems to be a rare case of artistic integrity kind of triumphing in Hollywood. Um, See, that's why I find it so hard to believe. I know, and, and, and I, I get where you're coming from, but I, I want to give them praise for doing it for once, even if it mm. is with, you know, all these extra things that make it easier for them to do it. They still did it, and, and as you say, The Dark Knight Rises is perfect proof that even when it's the end of the road, a lot of the time they don't have the balls to do it yeah, anyway. There's so. no reason not to do that. Um, yeah, but um, the other thing I liked about the ending, or sort of as it comes towards the end, is that those two main characters, the woman and the guy, I don't know what the character names are, um, they, there's this sort of little frisson between them, there's this little contact between them that's like, oh, hello, there's something going on here. And it's kind of not been brewing throughout because... But there's this, you know, it's it. Basically, what I like about it is that it doesn't feel like, oh, let's get them two to get together at the end. It feels like it feels like they yeah. both know they're about to die and they want to have yeah, one last chat. Yeah, they know they're about chat. to die. They're reaching out for not even that, but I just know, some human, human emotion, contact and yeah. kind of empathy and like they've been through a lot together. They've learned a lot about each other. It's like, and I like that. It was like felt like a very genuine emotional moment in 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 a film that in a in a uh, an industry that gets that wrong so often. Uh, so again, I, I like that. And then obviously that ending leads to this um, cameo with Carrie Fisher, CGI Carrie Fisher that we mentioned, and mm. just everything about that ending. Like I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I don't really care very much about any of the films, not even like the original trilogy. And yet I was so pumped up at the end of that that film. Mm. Like the thought of like doing a marathon where you go immediately from Rogue One into Star Wars, the first one, um mm. like that's that seems so appealing to me. And then I sort of stop and think about it and think, <laughs> oh I don't like Star Wars that much actually. It's not that great. But <laughs> but it just does such a brilliant job. It's mm. so well like Crafted yeah. is just a final ending to just leave you happy. So, like, I can only yeah. begin to fathom what it must have been like for real Star Wars fans <laughs> watching it. Who? Oh, it was great because I mean, not only do you have that ending with the heroes dying, sac well, sacrificing themselves to save the day, which is just a real like, whoa, I was not expecting that at all. And then you have the coda with Darth Vader being all badass and doing things that you only normally see him doing video games, like forcing, like, four guns out of guys' hands and then throwing them up on the ceiling and slashing them and all that kind of stuff to, yeah, Carrie Fisher, and it's such an adrenalizing ending. Um, and it is just this nice little coda on the end of, like, the, the story's kind of finished then, but we're just gonna, oh, we're gonna see and just connect it right up to 
A new hope. It doesn't feel like an unnecessary crowbarding cameo. It just feels like the right amount of connective tissue just to say, and that's yes. how this leads into this one. And, you know, now you can marathon mm. them all if you want to do them in chronological order and it'll be fun. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. I think I, I didn't really um, plant my flag at the start of the episode when we were talking about general feelings, but I think that. Um, Objectively, this is a better film than The Force Awakens. Oh, God. Yeah. No doubt. Um, It it works as its own sort of story as well as existing as part of a larger series, but I'm just probably never going to enjoy it as much because it doesn't tickle my fan fanny as much as as the... uh, I think... Force Awakens. I think objectively, there's a very good case for this being one of the best Star Wars films ever made, uh, let alone oh, yeah. The Force yeah. Awakens. I, I don't think it's quite as good as the mm. first Star Wars, but I I think objectively this is probably the best Star Wars film since the first one. Um, I think I and agree I, with I, that, yeah. I think I probably get slightly more enjoyment out of the original trilogy sequels than this one on a, on a personal mm. level, but there's not a lot in it for me. I, I and and as I've said, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the originals to begin with, so it's not like I'm putting this up as a, an all time classic. But I think it mm. does what it does about as well as one could hope. <laughs> uh, right? Shall we? Uh, shall we do some pictures? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Mine's very, very broad here. I'm afraid I've I've barely uh, put any meat on the bones, but I I just kind of <laughs> thought. What character do I want a spin-off about? Uh, we we already came up with a lot of spin-off ideas in our previous episode. Really, you know, I, I suggested a, mm. a Mace Windu uh, Pulp Fiction vibe film, and and mm-hmm. with John Travolta as his, his Jedi partner, and a, and and that sort of thing. And I, I mentioned Salacious Crumb earlier mm. as a as a suggestion. So, you know, I, I put the work in there. Uh, <laughs> not so much here. <laughs> But I, I really do think they need to start making some Star Wars movies that are just kind of different genres, different types of films set in that universe to really play with it a bit and not just big space battle movies. Um, so I want a film that is a music kind of biopic almost. Not 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 really, because they're not real, but uh, like the story of the band... The, the Max Rebo band uh, from the, the cantina. I, I want the story of Droopy McCool, who, uh, as much <laughs> as I talk about Jar Jar and how great he is, I think Droopy McCool from the original Star Wars may just be my favourite Star Wars character. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google this, because I don't even know who you're talking about. You'll, you'll, McCool. You'll, know, you'll know why when you see him. Alan, are you looking up Droopy McCool? No. Oh, that guy! <laughs> oh, I He's love so him. <laughs> I want his story. I want to know what what what's making him tick. You know, um, that's a very odd design, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It's like a sort of hairless dog scrotum thing. One-eyed monster, really. He's got a kind of elephant trunk eye thing. It's yeah, it's weird. Kind of chubby. Looks like he can play the clarinet. Oh yeah, he plays the clarinet. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. 
Is it just a clarinet or is it like a space clarinet? I think it's a space clarinet. He's only yeah. got four fingers. It's not enough. <laughs> um, and and like I thought about mapping this out, but then I thought you know Walk Hard kind of made fun of music biopics about as perfectly as as one could, so I didn't bother. So just imagine Walk Hard in space and uh, Droopy McCool is your your protagonist. Well, are there other there's other members of the band? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be all the drama about you know one of the one of the band members the lead singer's like convinced he can make a go of it as a solo act and he doesn't need the rest of the band and he quits like um you know he's he's off his tits on heroin and stuff no sorry uh death needles whatever the drugs are in space in star wars mm-hmm. world and uh Getting... <laughs> is that Max Rebo then? No, no, he's he's just watching it from afar, you know, he's he's taking it all in. He's uh Well who's Max Rebo? Oh oh sorry, he's sorry, yeah. No, will, I bet it is Max Rebo, yeah, the lead singer. Max Rebo's the blue yeah, guy who plays like the keyboard. Yeah, he's thing. he's the yeah. main so guy. Is he the man behind him. the music, not the singer? Um Well it's Max Rebo's band. He's the band well. leader. So yeah. the singer's just uh you know Yeah. Well the singer is Snice Noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Alan. Who named these? Was this all George Lucas? Did he name all these guys? Uh, probably. Or is... Oh, Sai Snootle. Sorry, not Sny. I think Dro- Droopy McCool could be like he's in this shitty Max Rebo band, but he dreams of being a solo jazz clarinetist. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> or he doesn't like, like doing the kind of. Um... It's very broad, the music they have to play. It has to appease the whole cantina. Mm. It has to appease beings mm. from across the galaxy. And he, he he's a bit more niche. And he's really snooty about the purity of yeah, jazz. Yeah, and he wants, um. he wants to open up a like classic jazz bar. Um, and then he meets Emma Stone. Um, <laughs> but there's not... There's not much of a market for it in Tatooine or wherever the fuck it is. Um, if I could do my pitch now, mine is sort of similar theme to, to oh. Souls in the sense that it is just like, I looked at some characters and thought, well, what can I do as a spin-off? Because oh. there's nowhere to go with Rogue One, really. So, mm. you know, you just Rogue sort two. of go. With it. But my, I, because we just watched the uh, prequels, that's what I was, I thought I'll find something there. Not a lot to go on, but but here my my pitch is obviously the gap between the first and second films, which is a big big gap, uh, and so this this would be a, a Saturday morning animated show called uh, the Animated Adventures of Obi Wan and Anakin. Oh, in which uh, is a... uh, have you seen any of the Clone Wars? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't, and I don't know anything about it. So uh, oh, okay, if I if if I get anything right, you'll have to let me know. Okay. So is Clone Wars this sort of the teenage years of Anakin, then? Is that what it's... Uh, more or less, yeah. It's set between the second and third film, and it's him and Obi-Wan, and other characters as well. I mean, it lasted for six seasons or something, so... Mm, well, maybe it's been done then. I mean, I would... Uh, Darth Maul's in it. I would have had Anakin a bit younger, yeah. like about 13, something like that. Because that's oh. your target audience, really. You want to re- oh, relate to so, the character. So you'd it's set more it like between a, episodes one and two? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, okay. It's more like Transformers, and they just sort of stick a human child in it to make it mm. relatable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they would... Uh, they'd be going around solving stuff. Like, we, we talked about last week how the Jedis are basically just private detectives and bodyguards that go around mm. doing shit. <laughs> and then, so that that would be your basic uh, setup, and each week they can go around to different 
plan it and you go all right we'll sort this problem out boom do that and then you can have um you don't you don't need a, like a through story you don't need any kind of prolonged kind of plot it's just episode by episode everything's always the just same just like the movies hmm yeah <laughs> and uh, Anakin's obviously like a bit hot-headed. He's always like, "Oh, let's go fight," and Obi Wan's like, "Ah, oh, chill out, man. We got we gotta find hmm. peace." You let your anger cloud um, your judgment. Yes, <laughs> but then obviously it always ends up in a fight because you got to have a bit of action. Hmm. Um, you could have regular guests. You can have Yoda drop in. Samuel yep, yep. Jackson can drop in. Yeah, yeah. Um, they could have a robot dog as a sidekick. Oh, brilliant pet. <laughs> That's just seen. I'm just yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, throw yeah, extra yeah, elements yeah, in, yeah. except humans. <laughs> well, I, I did think a, a good regular character would be um, Jackie Chan. Why? <laughs> you got a Jackie Chan in it. <laughs> but voice work isn't really his. It is. He's been getting loads of voice work inexplicably. He's in Lego but, Ninjago movie. Also, he's in Kung yeah. Fu Panda. He's in loads of this shit. Yeah. Even though he can't but speak English it's, like, but it's properly, not, he, he gets loads of voiceover work. But it's not just the character played by Jackie Chan. It is Jackie Chan. Oh, as himself. In this, in this, in this story world, Jackie Chan is a Jedi who can travel in time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, can we make this a crossover with Jackie Chan's cartoon series, Jackie Chan Adventures? We certainly oh, can. Oh man, I am on board <laughs> with this. I am so into this. So, um, sh- shall I do mine then? Um, yeah. Right, yes. Um, okay, so mine is not following on directly from Rogue One, but um, taking on a similar um, idea um, in that we look at the gap between films. Where did Yoda um, get that staff in Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> well, you're not that far off. Um, I want to set it between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, because do you, do you remember in um, A New Hope, the Death Star is blown up, but Darth Vader sort of goes, like, spiralling off into outer space um, when the good guys come into. uh Save the day. Yes? Yes, we all remember that, right? Of course. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> anyway, Darth Vader uh, goes spiralling off into outer space, and I want to pick up from there, and, like, what happened? Like, what did he do? Because the Death Star got blown up, and presumably there's no more um, Imperial ships nearby, so uh, what did he do? Well, um, he lost complete control of his ship, and then goes crashing on Dagobah, <laughs> the... Um, planet where Yoda inhabits, because we never really have much Darth Vader-Yoda interaction. In fact, I don't think we've ever seen that. Have we? Uh, no, because um, they were both DLC on the different console versions of uh, Soul Calibur <laughs> uh, 4, was it? Oh, so yeah, they never got to so. fight each other, even in, in that game, because you, know, you either had a, an yeah. Xbox version or a PlayStation version. Right, so he crash lands on Dagobah, and Yoda obviously finds him, and maybe uh, Yoda doesn't even know what he looks like, because Yoda has, you know, been in self-imposed exile since episode three, so he just sees this guy in all this black, like, cape, like, land on his planet, and he's like, oh, well, look after him, I will. He can sense the midichlorians. <laughs> so he, uh, he takes him into his little hut, and uh, much like in The Bride of Frankenstein, when the blind hermit takes <laughs> in Frankenstein, the the monster, um, we're going like Darth Vader's got amnesia. 
now. He's um. <laughs> yeah. So, well, neither of them really know who the other one is. Um, but Yoda senses <laughs> Yoda senses <laughs> Yoda senses much um of the Force in this guy. So, but Yoda se- Yoda senses the Force in Vader. So he decides to train him. So he sort of gives him back his um abilities, so to speak. And at no point does he like think, hmm, looks a bit menacing, this guy. Red lightsaber. Hmm, <laughs> not sure about this. Better, better ask him if, like, which side he's on. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway. I guess he asks um, him, and Darth Vader's so this- like, I don't know, I, I've got amnesia. And Yoda's like, oh, okay. He's a blank <laughs> slate. I'll mould him in my uh, image. No, oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Yoda thinks he's doing some good. He thinks he's, you know, redeeming his failures and whatnot. So after he's trained him, he starts trying to help Vader get his memory back. And Vader is, you know, doing that in his own time himself. And he realizes, um, much out of the way of Yoda, that he has children. And he decides to <laughs> go on a uh, Families Reunited website. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I was say they definitely don't have the internet and face like in the Star Wars world. Well, he's got the he's got that he, go, he, uh, that, he goes um, through the force on his chest, and a little screen comes. He out uses of the it force can, like, to like access a Jedi website when that it's all like force based. Mm. Yeah, mm. family, family, re- yeah. For, for Wait, it's, it's it's a it's a website called Families Reunited. Is that a? Uh, I, I don't know if it's a real thing or not. Um, it is in my pitch. Um, but he's, he, he gets a bit sort of, um, greedy and he, uh, gets quotes from numerous families reunited websites. Sorry. Um, and, Sorry. Uh, and he, he gets, he gets quotes from multiple quotes. families reunited websites. Yeah. Like I'll do it. I'll do it for like fifty credits. What? I'll, oh, I'll, I'll, credits, I'll like. trace your family tree. You mean? I'll. I'll yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, so he goes with the cheap option. Yes. Sorry, I thought I, I thought you meant he signed up for the website and loads of families were like contacting him, quoting him to be like, <laughs> "We're part of your family. Give us some money." <laughs> No, no, no. He's it's one of those things where you know you pay yeah. someone and then they research your family tree or whatever. <laughs> but he goes with the um, the cheapest option. Um, run run by Jar Jar Binks. Doesn't find your family good. And he, they um, they steal his credit card information. <laughs> <laughs> when he um, when he gets his statement through um. <laughs> He, he um he sees all these like um <laughs> charges that certainly weren't made by him. Um and so he, he gets like really mad and Yoda's comes he, in and he's he like, sees all these these payments on his statement and he just goes No <laughs> <laughs> Um So he um Yoda's like Yoda's like he's getting really mad, and Yoda's like, "No, no, come on, chill out. It's not it's the end of the world. It's it's fine." But it's this anger that reignites the dark side in Vader, and uh, him and Yoda have a huge like lightsaber battle on Dagobah okay. because I think that's what everyone wants to see. And then uh, Darth Vader decides to uh, fix his ship and go 
back home. Oh yeah, because now he's realised that um, Luke is actually his son. Oh yeah, I forgot we had to come back round to the next film where everything's normal again. Yeah, how does how does Yoda survive? Well, he just he kicks him into the swamp. He goes, "Ah, you're gonna drown now. You're in the swamp." And then when he's like flown off, Yoda pops out of the swamp and he's like, "Forgotten, I am a amphibious creature." You did, <laughs> and uh, there you or maybe maybe you know what? Maybe we don't. Um, maybe we start the film thinking we're on Dagobah. Um, and then Vader leaves, and then he comes back with an army to kill Yoda, but Yoda's gone. And then it turns out that he's actually moved over planets to Dagobah. And so he goes, and so then right at the end, like, Darth Vader goes, Damn, we've come back here to Begadar, and he's not here! <laughs> Where could he be? Yeah, exactly. That's it. Right. Yeah. Well, hmm. that would be... <laughs> it started out serious. I really wanted to do a proper one this week. <laughs> Couldn't manage it. I, I I'd love to watch a film where like uh, where, I just want to watch Darth Vader dealing with paperwork. I'd love to watch a film where Darth Vader like does his tax return and he's just sat there with his glasses going now. Mm, no, what's this payment for? Um, <laughs> Shouldn't Darth Vader have an accountant? Surely he can afford. No, he, he he kills them all. <laughs> he's, he get he, every time he gets annoyed with them, he kills them, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And it, it's reached the point. This film that's just him doing his tax return for the whole film is because he's like he's it's coming up to deadline, and he's killed them all, so he has to do it himself. That's it. He, he kills them out of frustration. Then he goes, "You didn't count on that." <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, then we'd really appreciate if you could help us out by giving the show a positive rating and review on iTunes so that more people like yourself can find us. Please also do check out our website, dimreturns.com, to find more episodes including our Alien, James Bond, Planet of the Apes, Marvel, and DC series, as well as shows focusing on smaller-scale, more quirky fare, like The Room, Pink Flamingos, and Raw. You'll also find written reviews and other special features on the site. Please do join us again next week as we conclude our Star Wars season with The Force Awakens.